All right, let's turn over to the book of Ephesians. I'm not going to preach the same message that I preached in the first service this morning, but I ministered from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, a prayer that Paul prayed. And it's really good about, he's praying that God would open up our eyes to what we already have, not what we would get. That was more important than what you realized. Most Christians believe that God can do anything, but that He has done very little. And that you have to beseech Him and beg Him and please Him in order for Him to release His power. But this, this uh, first chapter, actually the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all about what God has already done. It's not about what he can do if you would just approach him the right way. It's what has already done. And he's just praying that your eyes would be open to it. And then the last three chapters of Ephesians are praying about what your response to that should be. But this is significant, what I just said. Our actions are a response to what God has done, not something we do to gain a response from God. That's huge, what I just said. And to many people, that doesn't mean very much. But that's one of the reasons that we struggle to receive from God is because we think that He has yet to do things and that we, we pray and then we wait on Him. He's waiting on you to appropriate what He has already done. That's huge, what I'm saying. You know, let me start with just a little example of this that... I got born again when I was eight years old, and one of the significant things that occasioned that was I was in a, a vacation Bible school uh, right before I got born again. And this man, he held up a $1 bill. Now, nowadays, most kids wouldn't do anything for a dollar bill, but back then, that was a lot of money. And he held up a $1 bill, and he said, I'll give this to the first kid that comes up here and takes it. And instantly there was 20 or 30 kids around him just, you know, all yelling, I want it, I want it. And normally I sat right on the front down here. I mean, we were like a skunk. We had our own pew. It was our spot. Nobody sat in that spot. I sat on the front row. But because it was vacation Bible school, they marched us in according to groups. And there were 600 kids there, and I was on the very back row. And I thought of all times to be on the back row. And this guy, he just held this up and all these kids were around him, but he just kept his hand up in the air and he said, I'll give this first, I'll give this dollar bill to the first kid that comes up here and takes it. And everybody was wondering, what's he doing? Everybody wants it. And he just kept saying this over and over and over. And finally, it hit my lightning fast mind what that guy was talking about. And I ran down the aisle, pushed my way through those other kids, and he had his arm up like this, and I grabbed his arm and climbed up his side, and I grabbed that dollar bill. And he looked at all those kids, and he said, all of you want it, but that's the first kid that came up here and took it. And he says, that's the way salvation is. God is offering it, but he doesn't just give it to you. You have to take it. It says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, that the kingdom of heaven is preached and it suffers violence and the violent take it by force. What that's talking about is you got to get this attitude that Jesus purchased this. It's a done deal. He's done his part. 
and I am receiving what he has given me, and I am not taking no for an answer. And it's not God that you're, uh, you know, wrestling these blessings from. It's your own unbelief. It's the world. It's all of the negative things that we're facing. But God's already done his part. We aren't waiting on God to heal you, to deliver you, to prosper you. God is waiting on you to receive what he's already done. And so anyway, I was going to read all of these verses. Let me just jump down to verse 8. This is a familiar passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And this is a familiar passage of Scripture. And again, you can get so familiar with Scripture that you don't pay attention to what is being said. You just think you already know all of this. But this is really important. It says you're saved by grace through faith. You are not saved by grace. Now, technically, if you go back to verse 5, the end of that verse says, by grace, you're saved. And so it's not wrong to say that you're saved by grace, but technically, grace doesn't save you. If it did, every person would be saved. Because it says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. God's grace has come unto everybody. Everybody has had grace extended towards them, but grace doesn't save you. It's grace by faith. It's you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the combination of the two. You could compare this to like sodium and chloride. Did you know sodium is poison? You drink enough of it or eat enough of it, it'll kill you. Chloride is poison. You take enough of it, it'll kill you. But you put it together and it makes salt and you'll die without it. Did you know grace and faith together is a godly combination? But you can take grace or faith by itself. And I'm not against faith. I know faith, uh, Mac is a faith man. I'm a faith man. I'm not against faith. But I'm saying no truth of God's Word stands independent of another truth. That's a great statement right there. All you got to do to get into error is to take one truth of God at the exclusion of other truths. If you study the Word, the Word, it just, it has these apparent contradictions in it. Like, for instance, that uh, uh, Romans chapter 3, a man is saved by grace without the deeds of the law. And then James chapter 2, verse 20, you see that faith alone doesn't save you. It's, uh, faith without works is dead. They look like opposing truths, but actually they balance each other. And every truth in God's Word has an apparent contradiction that you have to take these truths and you have to put them together to, to get the thing. It's like looking at something from three dimensions instead of just two dimensions. It helps you to get understanding when you do that. So my point is that if grace alone saved you, then everybody would be saved because the Bible says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men. Did you know Hitler had grace extended towards him? Man, Romans chapter 1, I won't take time to go into all of it, but God's revealed himself against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of man. It's intuitive. Verse 19 and verse 20 says so that they are without excuse. Even His eternal power and Godhead is known. God has revealed Himself to every person. 
Man, I could spend a lot of time right here talking about some of the social things that are going on today and people saying God made them this way and today they feel like a woman and tomorrow like a man and all of this stuff. That's a lie. It's a lie. In their heart, they know truth. And this is the reason that they're having these pride things trying to get you to validate them because their own heart is condemning them and they're trying to deal with all of that guilt and condemnation. The scripture teaches that God's revealed himself from heaven against all ungodliness. People know better than what they're doing. Now you can sever or sear your conscience, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and Romans chapter 1 gives progressive steps that you can get to where you're actually reprobate and you no longer have any conviction. But that's a... Re that's a extreme case, many, I think there are some people that are in that situation today, but many of them, they know better and they're just fighting against it. So anyway, my point is God revealed himself to Hitler. God revealed himself to every single person. Those people knew better. You know, I was talking with uh, Paul Milligan here this week and, and I was sharing with him that uh, this is information that a lot of people didn't know, but you know, these... Uh, two boys that in 1999 went into Columbine High School in Colorado and they killed 13 people and then they killed themselves. And people wonder how could things like that happen? Uh, there was a friend of mine who was holding a Bible study the night before that happened and both of these kids that went in and killed those other people were at the Bible study. And this man conducting the Bible study he was operating in the gifts of the Spirit as they were praying. And he said, somebody here is thinking about suicide or killing somebody else. And he says, don't do it. And he spent 30 minutes just saying, who is this? Don't do it. And he pled with them and nobody responded. And the next day, those two kids went and killed all of those people. And people wonder about, you know, did they realize what they were doing? God spoke to them specifically and called out and exposed the desires of their heart. And they just chose to go against it. You may not know that about everybody behind the scenes, but I can guarantee you God has revealed himself from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. So anyway, grace has come to every person. Grace, let me define this for you. Grace is all that God is, all that God has on an unearned, undeserved basis. And God paid for the sins of the whole world. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus not only paid for the sins of believers, He paid for the sins of unbelievers. People that go to hell go to hell with their sins forgiven. They just didn't accept the payment that was made. Jesus paid for their sins. There is absolutely no reason for them to go to hell except for the fact that they rejected the payment that was made for their sins. Jesus paid for it. That's grace. Grace is something that God does for us, independent of us. Matter of fact, John chapter 1 says that we beheld his glory, talking about Jesus, full of grace and truth. Jesus is how God brought grace to the human race. We didn't deserve salvation. God didn't look at us and think, I've got to do something to help the world. He, he could have written us off. He could have done away with us, and it wouldn't have affected who God is. God commended his love to us because he is love, not because we are lovely. So it was absolute grace 
that caused Jesus to come to this earth, and it was done 2,000 years ago before you and I existed. So it has nothing to do with you. Grace has nothing to do with you. If it did, then it wouldn't be grace. But God's grace doesn't save you by itself. You have to put faith in God's grace. And let me define faith. And this may shock some people uh, because this is not commonly known. But I've got two ways of defining faith. Most people think faith is something you have to do in order to get God to do something. That's the antithesis of faith. That's the exact opposite. Faith is not something you do and then God responds to you. Faith is your positive response to what God has already done by grace. If God by grace hasn't done it, your faith can't make him do it. Faith, and again, I, you know, I'm saying things here trying to get my point across. I hope I don't step on Max teaching here, but he loves me anyway. And I've said the exact same thing, so it's just a semantic. But faith doesn't move God. Faith's not, God's not the one that's stuck. You don't need to move God. Faith doesn't move God. Boy, this, this took me 20 years to figure this out. I'm a little slow, but man, it set me free. Faith only appropriates what God has already provided by grace. If God's grace hasn't provided it, your faith isn't going to make him do it. Faith can't make God do anything. God has anticipated every need that we will ever have. And before you ever had a need, God had created the supply. Man, I've got so much I'd love to say. I'd I'm not going to take time to do it, but look over in the book of Genesis sometime. And did you know that God created man at the end of creation, at the very end of the sixth day? It was towards the end of the sixth day. Why didn't he create man first? We were the crowning jewel of his creation. We're what it was all created for. Why didn't he create us first? If he had created us first, we'd have had to tread water for three days. There wasn't any ground. And then we'd had to dodge the trees and the mountains and other things. And God created us last because he created everything we would ever need for us before we were even created. And so when man was created, he didn't say, well, God, I'm hungry. And God said, oh, well, let me create something for you to eat. God had already created enough food. You know, there was enough food on this planet to feed the entire world when there was only two people. He created a superabundance before the need ever existed. Man didn't have to say, I, I'm, I've got to breathe. And God says, oh, well, let me create air. No, he created everything. He created the proper climate. God created everything before Adam and Eve existed did you know when you got born again, everything that you will ever need is already in you. You are already complete in him. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. How do you think Jesus is? Is he in the process of getting healed? He's already healed. He's already prosperous. He's already got uh, perfect knowledge and wisdom and everything. 
You are identical to Jesus in your spirit. And this is what this is saying is that you're saved by grace. That's what God does for you. Independent of you has nothing to do with you. Before your need existed, grace had already meant the need. But then that's not enough. You've got to put faith in it. But if you make a mistake and think that faith is what you do and then God responds to your faith, that's not faith. That's what the Bible calls works. Thinking that God owes it to you. And I'm saying this in love, but I meet people all of the time who say they, were, they are mad at God. They're disappointed with God. Man, I love that song that Tim was singing about great is thy faithfulness. God has never failed anybody. God has never, ever, ever failed anybody. There are people, though, that, that get mad. God... I believe for something and it didn't happen. Well, see, the problem is you think that God is responding to you and because you did this, now God owed you something. That's wrong. God doesn't owe anybody anything. He has already, through Jesus, provided everything that you will ever need and it's just a matter of you responding. And if you don't see it manifest, it's not God that didn't give. Somehow or another, it's us that didn't respond. And one of those things that is a hindrance is you thinking that, God, I did this, now you've got to do this. That's not grace. That's law. That's the exact thing. The only thing that Jesus ever got really upset with was the Pharisees who were doing the right things but thinking that because I did this, now you have to move. And that is the only, those are the only people that Jesus ever rebuked. He would reach out to a prostitute. He would reach out to people who were publicans, thieves, liars. He, did, he was merciful to that. Sin, oh man. I'm going to make a statement here that Mac will fix when I leave, amen. He's the pastor. He has to live with you, and so he'll straighten this out. But sin isn't the problem. Sin has been dealt with. Now, sin is a problem in the sense that it's a direct inroad of Satan into your life. So if you're living in sin, quit it because he's going to eat your lunch and pop your bag. So don't live in sin. But sin has been atoned for between you and God. God's not responding to you or not responding to you based on your sin. But it, I guarantee you the thing that will stop God is your self-righteousness. Thinking, God, I've been fasting and praying and you know, I have people come to me in prayer lines by the thousands, and I've had, uh, I've prayed with lots of people, and I've heard this thousands of times. People saying, I fast, I pray, I study the Word, I pay my tithes, I go to church, I do everything I know. How come God hasn't done this? You just told me. Because you didn't point to what Jesus did for you. You pointed to what you did for Jesus, and now Jesus owes you something. That's not how it works. Faith doesn't move God. Faith doesn't make God do anything. All faith does is reach out and receive what God has already done. God, by grace, already provided the food for Adam and Eve, but He didn't just intravenously put it into them. He didn't just somehow or another make it happen. He provided it, but they had to reach out and grab the banana and peel it and eat it. That's faith. They, they were just taking what God had already done. And when you understand what I'm saying, it makes faith so simple that all faith is is a positive response to what God has already done. Let me turn over here to Mark chapter 11. 
Verse 24, and read this passage that uh, Kenneth Hagin wrote. I'm not saying that critical. I'm just saying that he, he preached on this so much, people thought Kenneth Hagin came up with this. But it says in verse 23, it says, For verily I say unto you, this is Mark 11:23, 23, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, when you believe, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. This is a great promise. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. And it says whatsoever. I've actually heard people take this and try and get God to do things that are completely contrary to what God has already provided. For instance, there was a woman in Arlington, Texas. That's where I grew up. And this woman started a Bible school and she was teaching from this verse and she literally taught that you could have anything you desired if you just believe hard enough. And so she desired Kenneth Copeland to be her husband. <laughs> and so she claimed Kenneth Copeland as her husband and actually had a wedding ceremony in her school where she married Kenneth Copeland in the spirit. Kenneth wasn't there. But in the spirit, she married him. And she went through this. And the way they dealt with Gloria was just to curse her and command her to die and get out of the way. And she was waiting on Gloria to die so she could marry Kenneth Copeland. Now, see, people hear that and they thought, that's not right. Why not? Doesn't it say whatsoever? Isn't that a whatsoever? Why can't you do that? It's because faith doesn't make anything happen. Faith only appropriates what God has already provided. And God did not provide murder and adultery in His atonement. So you can't use your faith to make it happen. This is why you can't use your faith and say, I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that I'm going to steal a million dollars and it'll work. Because God didn't provide thievery for you. This is why you can't say that I'm claiming the mega jackpot and using my faith. You know, I tried that when I first got born again. <laughs> it wasn't the jackpot, but Jamie and I were so poor we couldn't pay attention and we were struggling. And so they had in Dallas, Fort Worth, this car dealership, W.O. Bankston, had a giveaway of a Mark V Lincoln Continental and it was a raffle. And I thought, oh man, I got this aced because I'm a believer and I'll just use my faith and I'll trump all of these other people. And man, I was so excited. I thought I got this done. And so Jamie and I prayed and believed that we were winning this drawing. And I went to church and before I could tell anybody else, a guy came up and he said, W.O. Bankston's giving away a Mark V Continental and God told me I'm getting it. <laughs> and I thought, now wait a minute. There's only one car they're giving away and I'm believing for it and he's believing for it. How does God decide this? You can't use your faith to fix a raffle to win the lottery. God did not provide that for you in his atonement. Man, if you can understand what I'm saying, this will answer. Some of you are asking for things that it has nothing to do with what Jesus provided. You're wanting somebody else's mate. God's not going to help you. 
commit adultery. You're coveting things that you shouldn't have. Now, again, there's, there's nothing wrong with believing God for things, but you need to make sure it's not covetousness, it's not the love of money that's motivating it. There, you can't use faith to get God to do things. God has, loves you so much. He's already provided everything you'll ever need. There is nothing you will ever need that God hadn't already provided. And it's just a simple matter of you just believing that and resting and reaching out and receiving. If you understand what I'm saying, see, it just makes faith really simple. I'm not trying to get God to do anything. I'm just, God, what have you provided? And when he reveals it to me, I receive it. So this is the reason you can't use this verse to claim another person's mate, to rob a bank, to fix the lottery, and things like that because God didn't provide it by grace. So when you understand this, it brings the Christian life down to really simple terms. You just find out what God has already done. What has He already provided? And man, the Word is just full, full, full. It says He provides all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's already given you. Over in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, you're already blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You don't have to get God to bless you. God has already blessed you. Now, are you going to believe it and rest in that and receive it? Or are you going to get into turmoil trying to get God to bless you? That will actually stop the blessing of God because you aren't resting and trusting in Him. This is what Hebrews chapter 4 is all about, the Sabbath rest. You're supposed to be resting in what God has done. If you understand this, faith is not something you do and that you have to work up. It's just resting. It's trusting in the Lord. It's relying on Him. You know, without me going into great detail on this, this is what the Sabbath was all about. Over in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, Don't let any man judge you or in respect of a holy moon or meat and drink. I forgot the exact wording. I messed that up. Let me turn over here and just read this quickly. Colossians uh, chapter 2 and verse 16, it says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath day. Five things are listed. Did you know that we recognize four of those things have been fulfilled in the new covenant? We don't let people judge us in respect to meat. Did you know according to the Old Testament law, you couldn't eat pork, you couldn't eat shellfish, you couldn't eat shrimp, you couldn't eat any of those kind of things. There was all kinds of restrictions. Most of you in here eat all that stuff and don't think a thing about it, and that's okay. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 that if anybody tells you you can't eat meat, that's a doctrine of devils. Amen? I tell you, eating grass and twigs and berries, that's not food. That's what food eats. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. So most of us recognize that we're free from that. And the next thing it says, don't let them judge you in drink. Did you know that there were certain things you couldn't drink? Most people aren't even aware of what those restrictions were. So apparently... You don't feel like you're under that. And then it says, or of a holy day. Did you know that there are holy days, holidays that were observed in the Bible that it is commanded that we do it forever? And yet most of you don't do it. Most of you don't keep the Passover. You don't keep the Feast of Tabernacles. 
and on and on, and yet those things were supposed to be statutes forever. It's because it's been fulfilled. Notice it says that in verse 17 that they are a shadow of things to come. A shadow is not the real thing. If you could imagine that this pulpit was a building and you were standing over there and I was standing over here and if you couldn't see me because of the building, but if you could see my shadow, my shadow is useful when you can't see me. It'd tell you whether I'm standing still, tell you whether I'm moving away or if I'm moving towards you. It could give you some indication if, if I'm carrying a club or a rifle. If you can't see me, then a shadow is good. But if I walk around the corner and I'm in full view, and if you reach down and shake hands with my shadow, something's wrong with you. <laughs> now we have the real thing through Jesus, and we don't, these shadows are not what we're living by. We've got a relationship that all of these things were shadows of. So the fourth thing that it mentions in the 16th verse it says, or of a new moon. Did you know you were supposed to offer sacrifices every new moon? How many of you offered a sacrifice that last new moon? Anybody? Anybody know when the last new moon was? <laughs> See, we're, we're free from four of those things, but the Sabbath, people say, there's entire denominations that pride themselves on being Sabbath keepers. The Sabbath, just like all of those other things, was a shadow of something to come. And yet there are people today that are observing the shadow instead of the reality that it pictured. You know what the Sabbath pictured? After God had created everything and he created man, immediately he entered into a Sabbath where everything was done. He didn't have to create food for him. He didn't have to create air. He didn't have to do anything. He had prepared everything and he rested, not because he was tired, not because if he created one more tree, he'd just pass out. That was all he could do. He rested because it was complete. It's like a lawyer says, I rest my case. Not because he couldn't talk anymore. Lawyers can always talk. Amen. <laughs> like preachers. But no, it's because his, his case has been made. It was complete. There's nothing left to say. God rested because everything was done. And immediately men entered into that rest where they didn't have to ask for food. They didn't have to ask for water. They didn't have to ask for air. They didn't have to ask for anything. Everything was already provided, and all they had to do is just take advantage of it. Well, the same thing. Once you get born again, you don't have to ask God in the sense of, God, please do something. You, you can ask in the sense of just being polite, like, if I told you that, you know, my car is out here, which I don't have a car here, but if my car was out here and I said, hey, you can go drive my car after this meeting's over. And if you really believe me, you could come up and you could say, can I have your keys? If you ask, can I have your keys? Did you really mean that? Would you please let me drive your car? That would be unbelief. But if it's just polite saying, hey, can I have your keys? You said so. And it's just making a demand like the Lord told us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And he said, give us this day our daily bread. It wasn't, oh God, please give us our daily bread. It was more of a demand. It's like a little kid coming into their parent and saying, I'm hungry, give me something to eat. They're just, because of the relationship, they're just uh, accessing, appropriating what you've already provided. So in that sense, you don't have to ask God for anything. He's already provided everything. Everything you will ever need is already in your born-again spirit. 
And so you rest in that. That's what the Sabbath was a picture of, that you just rest. And to, and to make this point, he told people to take one day out of seven off. And did you know when he gave that command, nobody on the planet took one day out of seven off. They were having to work seven out of seven days just to survive. It was hard. And here come the Jews, and they take one day out of seven off. And in the natural, you'd think, well, there's no way they could prosper as much as people that worked every day. But they prospered more because God blessed their faith and made the works that they did more productive. And in case anybody missed that, Leviticus chapter 22 commanded them to take one year out of seven off. And in the sixth year, they would reap three times a normal harvest so that they not only survived the sixth year, but then the seventh year and the eighth year while they were planting their crops and waiting on them to come up. It was all supernatural showing that, yes, you do things, but it's not your doing that makes it work. God is your source. Your faith only appropriates what God has already provided. Your faith doesn't make God do things. That's what the Sabbath was a picture of. And see, this is, you go back all the way to creation. That's what God was showing. He created man last because it wasn't ready yet. He, did, he prepared everything that they would ever need, and then they just move into that completion. This is a picture of what happened. When you got born again, everything that you will ever need, healing, deliverance, joy, peace, anything that you'll ever need is already there. It's not a matter of getting God to do it. It's a matter of you calming your fears, getting out of fear, quit going by what you see, and instead resting in what the Bible says that you already have. I have people come to me all the time and they say, would you just please pray for me that God would, would love me, that he'd pour out his love in my life? No, I won't do that. And people think, well, what's wrong with that? Because the Bible says God's already commended his love towards you and that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. God so loved the world that he gave. Romans chapter five, verse five, the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. God loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make him love you more, and you can't make him love you less. God loves you because he is love. That's his nature. God loves you, and for you to say, oh, God, please pour out your love in my life, you're actually insulting the very nature and character of God. Now, if you were to say, God, your word says you love me, and I believe it, but, man, I'm not experiencing it, and I've got something's wrong. Would you help me? I'll pray with you about that. But to say, God, turn on your love, pour out your love, that's an insult to God. To say, oh God, give me joy and peace, it's an insult to what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. In your spirit, you already have all of those things. You don't need God to give it to you. You need to start believing and receiving what God has already done. And it's a huge difference. You know, there was a time, I'm going to quit here quickly, maybe. But there was a time when I was pastoring in, in uh, Pritchett, uh, Colorado, and um, we'd seen a man raised from the dead in that church. And it only had 144 people in the whole town, but we had 100 coming to church. So percentage-wise, it was pretty good. 
But man, people were criticizing me because I didn't sing out of the hymnal and I didn't do things the way everybody else did. And so anyway, it was just a bad scene. And I was uh, being criticized. They accused me of stealing money from the church and I didn't even take an offering. I didn't take offerings and I didn't take a salary. I didn't have anything. And yet they accused me of stealing money. They accused me of committing adultery. They accused me of getting on drugs. They were just lying and saying anything about me that they could. And I was feeling really bad about it. And I was just waiting on Jamie and my boys to go to bed so I could go down into the basement and have myself a pity party. And I'd already sent out my invitations and all of the demons in Baca County... Colorado had, had assembled and I was just waiting to go down there and gripe and complain about how unfair everything was. And so while I was waiting on them to go to sleep, I was sitting at the kitchen table and I just opened up my Bible and it just flopped open to Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, etc. And immediately I knew what the Lord was trying to tell me, that I had love joy, peace, all of these things in my spirit. Now, was I going to go by who I was in Christ and what I had in Christ, or was I going to go by what I felt? That's, that's huge, what I just said. Most people think that what you feel, well, that's just reality. That's just carnal is what that is. Your feelings... You can't just totally do without feelings, but you cannot let feelings dictate to you. There's a part of you that is beyond feelings. You are a person that has love, joy, and peace. I don't care what you feel like. And so anyway, I sat there and I thought, God, you don't, you don't want me to sit here and rejoice in a negative situation like this. And you know, the Lord won't argue with you, so he just kind of left me alone. And anyway, by the time Jamie and the boys were asleep, I went down into the basement and just by faith, I started saying, thank you, Jesus, that you love me. And I started praising God through gritted teeth. I didn't mean it, but I knew it's what the word said. And I was going to act on who I was in Christ instead of what I felt. And in just a few minutes, all of a sudden, the supernatural love and joy and peace that was in my spirit began to manifest itself in my soul. And I, I've stayed up most of the night just having a wonderful time praising God. And my point for saying all of that is, see, I didn't go and say, oh God, I'm depressed and look what they said about me. Would you please give me joy? By doing that, you're denying. You're denying that by grace... God has already provided everything and faith just reaches out and takes what's already there. You aren't trying to get God to do something that hasn't happened. You're just receiving what he's already done. And instead, I started by faith, praising him for what the word of God said about me. And when I did, my spirit man began to take over instead of my carnal man. And I experienced all of the love and the joy and the peace. But did you know every time you've been discouraged and depressed and talking about how bad things are, your spirit man is just basking in the love, joy, and peace of God. Your spirit can't be depressed. It can't be discouraged. It's not in fear. Your spirit man has everything in it. The problem is that we aren't always in the spirit. We are operating by the flesh and letting our feelings dictate. But hopefully this will help you to understand that you're saved by grace 
through faith, not one or the other, but by a combination of the two. God has already provided everything for you. Now, are you going to rest in that? Or are you going to go by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel? If you live by the flesh, the Bible says that if you live in the flesh, you will die. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnal mindedness just means that you're ruled by your five senses. You don't feel the love of God, so you start petitioning God. God, pour out your love. That's the wrong approach. You say, Father, I must be in the flesh because I'm not feeling your love. So forgive me for being in the flesh. And you just go back and start reading what the Word says about how God loves you. And you get back into the Spirit by faith. And you start building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And you encourage yourself in the Lord instead of sitting there and blaming God for why haven't you healed me? Why haven't you set me free? God's faithful. God has done His part but you have to reach out by faith and appropriate what God has already done. If it's already done, there's no doubt about will it get done. It's already done. You just receive it. Isn't that good news? Amen. Amen. Pastor Mac, I'll turn it back over to you.